Welcome to episode 35 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, Elle. I'm Elle Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. We discuss the Maenads, who are the priestesses of Dionysus, romanized as Bacchus, and the wild ragers they would throw in <laughs> to forge a connection with their god. In the extra spell, we covered brewmasters, who were predominantly women, until male brewers began accusing them of witchcraft, destroying the craft of women to this day. Our cultural image of the witch, featuring an old woman with a pointy hat, cat, and a cauldron, comes from female brewmasters. Uh, we also briefly touched on the history of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's more to talk about with the history of alcohol as a magical tool. And I also promised we'd talk about how fucking haunted alcohol in America is. Uh, and, of course, cheese. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about I cheese. have to say I'm really disappointed with the lack of cheese puns. I think we got sidetracked. Um, we did we did because... get get sidetracked and we probably uh will get sidetracked again. Okay, yeah. that's fine. You know what? I'm disappointed in that there weren't many, but am I sad I didn't have to sit through them? Not really. Yeah, and Not th really. there was also that whole episode with like me getting triggered and like I know. I know. I there, know. There was just something in the Greer air. <laughs> 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 did you write that yeah, or did you think no, of that? No, I just improvised wow, that. Wow, yeah. you're funny. You <laughs> you should you should tell jokes uh, for money sometimes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think is that not yeah. what the podcast is? Well, just us Maybe. being funny and know. you know, hopefully people thinking yeah, it's funny. Not not all of them land though, and that makes me feel kind of blue. <laughs> Blah. Like blue cheese. <laughs> Cheese. <laughs> I'll workshop that one. Yeah, that one, that one might need a little bit more, but yeah. the something in the Gruyere was yeah, that was good. Um. Uh. Anyway, <laughs> we have a podcast to fondue. Um. <laughs> we have to talk about America's obsession with cheese and cheese magic, also known as tearomancy. I know so many cheese facts, and I'm about to dump them all of you. Like, did you know that the dust on Cheetos is called Cheetle? I did know that because you told me, because you've told me a lot about Cheetos, and I never <laughs> wanted to know. Yeah. Cheetos are industrial waste, just so you know. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the man who invented Flame and Hot Cheetos used his family's, like, spice Elote, recipe. Elote. Uh... Elote spice recipe. Mm -hmm. um, and was just a janitor. Do you know way. what got advertised to me today or that I got an email for? What? Um, Levo wants me to buy a spray to infuse Flame and Hot Cheetos. Hell yeah. With with. With the cannabis, for those that don't Dude, know what a Levo is. This man's family recipe has just changed. Changed munchies forever. Changed, changed the world forever. And now he's like some high up. Well, and he dude. was a janitor for Cheetos. And he yeah. left it on like the CEO's desk, right? Yeah, he was a janitor for Cheetos. And he was also like an immigrant from Mexico. And the Cheetle spewer wasn't working one day. Mm -hmm. And so all the industrial waste corn poops <laughs> that were coming out of the machine 
we're not getting cheatalized. So he's like, I'll just take these home and I'll use my family recipe for we'll elote. Yeah. And uh, they were delicious. And he started giving them to his coworkers and they were like, oh, my God, this is better than Cheetos. And the, the CEO was like, bullshit. No Let me way. try that. Oh, my God, they are. But I'm going to promote the shit out of you. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> we discovered you. I wonder how much money he's made Cheetos. Probably a oh, lot. so much. A lot. Not only that, but just like the recipe for the dust is in so many things now. Yeah. I, well, that's what I was thinking of is like um, how many times do they use Flamin' Hot Cheetos when they need like a weird ingredient on a night like a cooking show, like baking shows? They're like, oh, we're going to put some Flamin' Hot Cheetos on the top of this cupcake. Yeah, Not ma- that I agree with that. And to keep it alcohol themed, how many fucking alcohol drinks have flame and hot Cheeto dust like around the rim or whatever? Oh, yeah, you're right. Fucking, that dude's a fucking legend. And I hear that there's like a a Rags to Riches movie coming out about him. Oh, my God. We have to see it. (laughs) It's like in production. Um, But yeah, Cheetle. Fun word to say. Not a delicious word. Not a delicious word. That does not make me want to have Cheetos. Yeah. I think my Cheeto consumption has lessened since you told me about the industrial waste (laughs) in Cheetos, I think. (laughs) Literally, Cheetos. uh, There's like a corn harvester machine that was in like the 30s. And it would get like clogged up and overheat. uh, So they would have to like pour water and cornmeal to like into like the manifold, the the hot manifold to cool it off. And then they would stuff it down with a stick and then out of the little exhaust pipe would come these little corn poops uh and apparently the, the, one of the farmer guys was like hey, i'm fucking starving to death it's the 30s and it's corn these yeah. are edible but they're actually really bland and awful to eat so what if i just put cheese on it because because and we'll get to the reason why cheese was fucking everywhere at the time yeah uh and he was like oh my god and he invented cheetos and then he dehydrated the cheese and turned it into cheetle a dust anyway cheese facts go smoke your bowl go get some cheetos you can pause us come back when you're ready i know that's what we've made everyone want to do yeah <laughs> at the end of the episode l is going to perform some tiromancy or cheese magic uh there's a the tiktok user i mentioned nathan kessel who just throws cheese onto a random book page to mm-hmm. i'm so excited we're gonna try that for real like the combo of tiromancy and bibliomancy uh, the phrase is like, I don't know. I, I think it's a little sus. Uh, <laughs> it's entertaining, but it's a little sus as to whether it's real magic, but we'll see. Uh, so here we go. <laughs> Back into oinomancy and tiromancy. Divination by alcohol and cheese. Now, we focused on ancient Greece mostly in part one, but I wanted to talk about a few other spiritual practices involving alcohol. The ancient Greeks were just really good at writing things down, so there's just the most information about that. But many religions forbid alcohol, but others encourage its use or use it in rituals. One of the things we mentioned in the last episode was uh, alcohol opening up someone to demonic possession. Well, not every culture views that as a bad thing. Like the main ads, getting connected spiritually to their god, many cultures used alcohol to allow spirits or even their ancestors to inhabit their body to commune with them. Uh, While Haitian voodoo is a closed practice, one of the things that is known about it is the use of alcohol to allow spirits called Iwa to inhabit the body. And El, you've been trained in that. You know more about that um, and knows what parts should not be shared and 
what parts are shareable. Do you have anything to add about that? Yeah. So um, because it is closed, there's like certain parts of this that I'm not going to be ex- able to explain thoroughly. But there is a process in Voodoo where you get basically selected by spirits who want to be your support kind of, I guess is how I would say that. Um, And when that happens, when spirits select you, you then kind of become a little vessel for them to be expressed through um, because spirits want to have the experience of being alive. So it is very often with certain spirits, which I don't believe that I can say which spirits it is, but certain spirits in voodoo um, want to (laughs) um, come down and experience being drunk or experience gambling. So there are certain spirits um, that will absolutely come through your body just to experience what that feels like. And that has happened happened to me and it's happened to a couple of my friends a few different times and it's not like scary it just is kind of like you can look at someone and you're like you're not you're not home right now you're definitely not in there it's happened to me when I've been gambling because one of my spirits was like a gambler and that's what she liked to do so she would like come through when I was gambling and I would make a lot of money when she was gambling so that was fun but yeah and like voodoo it's not considered a negative thing or even really a scary thing it's just kind of a thing that you honor the living spirit of those spirits and that's like the entire practice of voodoo is honoring these alive spirits and giving them a way to walk and continue on in this world and so a lot of um people's perception of voodoo is like oh these spirits are really dangerous and bad and like are they the most powerful spirits you can probably get in touch with yes because they are the oldest ones they've been in the world the longest but they are also very dependent upon people giving them offerings and allowing them to come down and allowing them to be present in the world. So it's not viewed as like demonic possession. It's viewed as your God coming down and communing with you and getting to share an experience of being alive again. And that's kind of, it's like a big honor and a big deal if you're like kind of deemed worthy enough for them to come and experience that with you. Mm. So yeah, it's a really beautiful religion that you can't, you just can't talk about it in depth, obviously. But Voodoo gets like this horrific rap for like, because it was used by a lot of drug dealers, basically, like big, big, big time drug dealers. That's where it got its really awful connotations. But it's actually this really incredible and beautiful religion. I mean, that and, you know, racism. Um. Yeah. Well, and that's like because that's where a lot of Americans like perception and like exposure to voodoo was happening like during the 1980s when like Pablo Escobar was getting his house busted and he had like cauldrons of human remains like in the corner and like voodoo dolls and stuff above mm. it. And there's like there are specific spirits that drug dealers and users use to protect them that come from voodoo heritage. But it's not because all of voodoo is bad. It's because there are bad parts in every religion and people find ways to exploit that. So so, yeah, racism is bad. Uh, don't come out our podcast if you're going to bitch about voodoo or say that it's negative because that's not going to go well for you. Shout out to you, What's Her Face, who sent us that email about why racism is not something we should talk about. Yeah, why well, um, it's just not a big deal. Let's yeah. just let's just ignore it. And you, and you know what? <laughs> a lot of this episode is for you specifically. Um, yeah. So, so in Vedic Hinduism, uh, just to let's. That was on topic. It it, it it was, but I got sidetracked with okay. talking about oh, what's, what's, yeah, her what, what's her bucket. Um, yeah. In Vedic Hinduism, there was the mention of a magical ritualistic drink called Soma. Mm. We aren't sure if it was alcoholic specifically, but many believe that the mythical beverage was. While there are several writings noting the ritual consumption of Soma and its effects, 
we don't actually know what soma is. It's noted as having an intoxicating effect as well as giving hallucin hallucinations and feelings of euphoria. The plant used in Vedic rituals today is Soma Latha, named after Soma. Uh, however, it doesn't produce the dramatic effects described in the rituals in the historical writings. So we're like, is that Soma? Uh, many believe that Soma Latha was like fermented, distilled, and mixed with other things uh, before you know, falling out of fashion and then coming back in the Vedic tradition. Uh, there's also a theory that soma is cannabis, but I think that comes from stoners trying to make weed more magical than it really yeah. is. Yeah. Because they're always <laughs> fucking doing that shit. It's true. <laughs> it's like, this is the plant that opens up your chakras and connects you to God. It's like, no, dude, it like makes you sleepy. You just, yeah, <laughs> like you get, a little, you get a little munchies. It's like, uh, you're happy. Yeah. I'm really connecting to God as I shove fistfuls of Cheeto into my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, but the crunchiness is a very godly experience, you uh, know. The ritual itself is an energy healing ritual intended to promote clarity of mind and purity of body. Soma exists more as a legend, though. Kind of like, you know, like nectar or, uh, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. like, uh, the meat of poetry. The nectar of the gods, you know? yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. The name is synonymous with, like, legendary elixirs. Like, if you play, like, RPGs and stuff, like, Soma is usually, like, an elixir that cures poisoning or whatever. Mm -hmm. In fact... There is a muscle relaxer that exists today with the brand name Soma. And we know this because I asked RJ if we could buy this. I was <laughs> like, can we get Soma? Can we take it? Can we do this? Or is it closed? And then RJ was like, oh, it's not real. No. I mean, it is real. We just don't exactly know. What it was. What it was. And there is the Soma Latha, which is used today, but... It doesn't exactly work the way it was described historically. Mm. Um, but I guess we could just do muscle, muscle relaxers. I do this every <laughs> night. Migraines, baby. <laughs> yeah. uh, in Shintoism, which is the Japanese uh, spiritual religion, uh, sake is used to commune with the gods and spirits as an offering to them. Sake uh, for this kind of offering is called omiki. It isn't always just like pouring one out for the spirits. You know, it's more like they would sit down in nature, pour a, a – they're like dishes that they would drink from. Mm -hmm. The shot glasses are more like dishes. Pour a little dish for the spirits, pour one for themselves and just drink alone with the spirits. That's Yeah, that's how you would do offerings and that's like – uh, now that would be the thing. So I tell people like if they have a loved one that passed that they just can't, they're having a hard time like immediately after the passing, then I'm like, just sit down, light a little candle, pour out a little glass of water and like sit with them. Like That's a very normal way to do offerings. The Celts. Remember the Celts? The Celts? The Celts. <laughs> and other pagans have a similar offering ritual uh, that involves alcohol to honor the dead on uh, Samhain mm. or All Hallows' Eve. It's part of why people get so fucking twisted on Halloween. <laughs> uh, also, uh, because people just love any excuse to drink and party. Yeah. Uh, and you get to do it in fun costumes yeah. on Halloween. Yeah. So um, they would, you know, like – 
yeah, you pour one out for the spirits, you leave offering for the spirits, but you, you can't drink alone, so you get drunk you with You gotta, them. you got to. I mean, come on. And, you know, there I is, guess that's what voodoo spirits do. <laughs> yeah, and there's also the long-standing like Celtic and Irish tradition of like pour one out for the boys, like pour one out for somebody who isn't there or somebody who has died so that they get their mm-hmm. share of the alcohol at the wake and whatever. Yeah. And that is a libation. As yeah, it's a no libation burn. ritual. Um, L, have you ever wondered why strong drinks are called spirits? No. No? You've never been like, I wonder why we fucking call it that. No, but I'm having, like, I feel like maybe I should have been wondering this. I, I It's one of those things where, like, you don't think about it until it's time to think about it, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, so we have that Ouija board that's the alcoholic Ouija board, <laughs> yeah. and it says the spirits want you to drink, and it will tell you how to drink. Like, we have a game that's a Ouija board that's a the, drinking yeah, game. Yeah, a Ouija board drinking game. Haven't you seen it? It's in the garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Okay, that's it. That's uh, all I know. <laughs> well, the reason we call alcohol spirits is because of alchemy. What? Uh, or rather, the soul. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there's a reason I didn't bring this up on the alchemy episode because I was kind of saving it for this one. When alchemists discovered liquor through distillation, they called it spirit, as in the breath of life. The idea was that they had created a substance that had a significant effect on the human soul, as if it were breaking it down and reconstructing it. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but drinking it produced a strong smell on the breath, and alchemists had been distilling like all kinds of stuff like they had been creating alcohols mm. but not for drinking yeah for like sciencey stuff uh they didn't start drinking it for a while they, eventually they were just like what if i just like drank this <laughs> <laughs> like whoa dude do you ever think about that you know what like really trips me out that was like artichokes like someone like came upon an artichoke and was like you know what i should do i should fucking eat this like i'm blown away by the things that we have that i'm like who the fuck saw that and was like drink it how about I'm going to eat this bread mush and see if I get drunk? Like, you know, anyway. Yeah, it, I mean, of course, alcohol had been a thing before this, but never was it like do a shot and then whammo blammo. Like, yeah. you were fucking... You, like it wasn't moonshine. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, yes, breath smelled like alcohol after you were drinking beer or wine for a long time, but they assumed that it's just because... You were drinking beer and wine for a long time and not because of the alcohol, alcohol. Uh, getting respirated out. Mm. But they noticed that, like, you do one shot and you're respirating alcohol for hours. I had no idea that was why you smell like alcohol. No clue. Wait, you had no idea? No. Yeah, so you sweat it out in urea through your sweat. You mm-hmm. urinate it out and it goes through your breath. Mm. Okay. I didn't know it was through your breath. Yeah. All kinds of ways it falls out of your body. Because your body is just like, get this out of me. Get it out of me. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. Um, And now I'm going to talk about something that I also saved for this that could have been in the alchemy episode, which is phlogiston theory. Phlogiston theory. Phlogiston. Okay. Uh, remember the anima mundi. Yes, the spirit of the The, world. The spirit of everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. One of the scientific alchemical theories that had been superseded, like since passed on, we've moved on from, uh, was the existence of a substance called phlogiston. It was essentially a kind of life energy, like the spirit energy, the anima mundi energy itself. Ectoplasm. Uh, not ectoplasm. I know, I know. <laughs> We're going to have an ectoplasm episode one of these days. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to read via ectoplasm. We're going to make you vomit cheesecloth. Um, 
<laughs> uh, that's how they did it. Okay. Um, but essentially, phlogiston was this life energy that was combustible. Like it released heat and energy. Okay. So plants absorbed phlogiston as they grew, like through the air and soil. And then when you burned them, it released all the phlogiston they stored oh, up. Oh, so matter is neither yeah, in yeah, the, in created the form or of destroyed. Yeah. Fire and heat. Well, phlogiston. I guess it wasn't really matter. It was more energy. I right? That's what I meant. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we consume phlogiston when we eat and then we exhale it to release it so that we don't, I guess, combust or whatever. Okay. Uh, if there was too much phlogiston, the energy wouldn't be released anymore. So like the if you put a glass container over a candle – uh, the candle would go out because there's too much phlogiston in the air that would smother the candle. <laughs> that phlogiston. <laughs> phlogiston. No, there's no oxygen. That's the issue. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Uh, so, you know, it, same as if you were like trapped in a room with no ventilation, the phlogiston it's couldn't so flow much. out and you would just fill up with phlogiston and suffocate You and are going to be so sad you taught me this word because I'm going to use it all the fucking time. And be like, you know what it phlogiston. smells like? Phlogiston. <laughs> Yeah. It smells like teen spirit, but it smells like yeah. phlogiston. Phlogiston was weightless, immaterial, and unable to be measured. Of course, that doesn't fucking work scientifically. Yeah. You cannot measure or test something. Uh, so in testing to try and measure and discover how they could measure phlogiston, uh, they ended up with a theory showing that they were wrong and there's – Actually, the opposite opposite of phlogiston theory is true. There was a measurable substance creating this re- reaction. Several, actually. Most notably, oxygen. Mm-hmm. The discovery of oxygen came from trying to prove phlogiston theory. Huh. Okay. I think because phlogiston is still the thing that, you know, what make it work, what make human human. What, what, what make it burn. What make it burn. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of, yeah, that still trying to quantify. I guess I, they probably are doing like scientific things to still try to quantify it. But I think it's now at this point just accepted that we don't, can't quantify the thing that makes things be alive. Yeah. And I mean, I bring up phlogiston theory to give you all an idea of how liquor was thought of when they created it. <laughs> okay. Uh, to them... It was like pure fucking phlogiston. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing a shot. You're doing a shot of life force, basically. Basically, it was explosive and combustible. Yeah. Burned for a long time. And when you drank it, it was noticeable on your breath. It filled you with phlogiston energy. Oh, to get it out. That you had to, to get out, out through okay. breathing it out. Mm-hmm. Thus, it only made sense to call them spirits. Oh. <sighs> I know. It's so weird. Like how much stuff comes from stuff that's so defunct we don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. When did phlogiston theory get um... – The 1800s. Oh, wow. Like mid-1800s. I think that's the thing. Like the more we talk about the history and like anthropological stuff like involving magic, it's like this stuff was not that long ago. We are not that far away compared to 1,500, 2,000 years of people believing the same stuff. We're 150 years, you know? Yeah. Away from it. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. And in like Europe where phlogiston theory and like the UK where phlogiston theory dominated and where these alchemical experiments that made hard liquor happen, spirits is the dominant term for hard liquor. Mm-hmm. And we say liquor, they say spirits. Mm. I mean, they're interchangeable in both cultures. Yeah, but, but yeah. And that hard liquor in Europe would make its way to America. And America 
has some fucking history with this shit. Yeah. It's very likely that a lot of the uh, spiritualism connected to alcohol, the demonic possessions, the spirit communion, the divine possessions stem from an uh, alcoholic condition known as alcohol hallucinosis. Essentially, alcohol causing psychedelic effects. Those who suffer from it are reported to see shadow people, the floor or walls moving around them, the feeling of levitating, being pushed or pulled around by amorphous entities, seeing a person sit on their chest, hear voices, sometimes of dead loved ones. And there are even cases where people suffered cotard's delusion, which is where you believe you are dead, rotting, or don't exist. Like you're just an invisible ghost. Hmm. The... The episodes range from like temporary fleeting hallucinations like, oh, something darted out of the corner of my eye uh, or passing auditory hallucinations to just like full blown psychosis for weeks. Uh, Obviously, Elle, you've had the alcohol. Has any of that ever happened to you? I was going to say this sounds a lot like like the feeling of floating. If you've ever drank too much and you're like, I'm just going to go to bed and you just have the spins. Yeah, I've done my fair share of drinking. I've done a lot of drinking when I was, like, younger. Um, I think it's really interesting because, like, oh, your dead loved ones are coming back to you. Maybe you're just fucking sad and, like, trying to escape that. And it just, like, lowers your inhibition so then you can experience those things versus fucking ghosts coming back to torment you when you're drunk. This sounds to me, though, like there was poisoning happening. Like, I know that probably we didn't have enzymes to digest alcohol and that was a big portion of it. But it makes me wonder if we're, like, not taking off the ethanol. And that kind of stuff, because it causes blindness and craziness, right? If you don't distill it properly or if you don't uh, remove it after it's distilled. Uh, yeah. Um, and there was a lot of... Uh, like contamination. Contamination. Yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't a pure science. Uh, well, and I think like I think like wheat contamination would happen and it would contaminate the alcohol. Like you hear about that. Or you hear about um, like wheat would get that specific maybe microbe or disease, and then people would eat the wheat, and then they would have, like, LSD. It's actually what LSD grows off of, actually. The ergot? The, mm-hmm. So I would have to imagine those things would hold over because uh, they don't have, you know, the Jack Daniels factory <laughs> distilling well, everything e- appropriately. Even, even when we do have the Jack Daniels factory, alcohol hallucinosis still occurs today. Hmm. Um, but it really only occurs in severe alcoholics. That's what I would say is it's people who are, like – because it sounds to me – that these people would be detached from rea- from reality and trying to um, hide away from these things. And their brain would be like, do you know what you can't do now? Which is also part of why people drink. So it's like um, alcoholics start drinking because you're like, well, I'm just going to – well, typically it's really fun. And then it kind of turns into that I'm just going to numb everything. And then I think it kind of goes from I'm going to numb everything to I'm going to experience everything. But I don't have to remember what those experiences are. Then you're not really processing or working through it even though might feel like you are so yeah so it's like slow but severe alcohol poisoning leads yes. to the hallucinosis that's what i would say i do have to say i was not the one in recovery i talked about drinking a lot and i'm like yeah this descent into alcoholism i didn't get there i stopped severely drinking before we got to the alcoholic <laughs> stage because i knew i already knew that was what was in my future yeah we, we tend to forget that alcohol is a highly psychoactive substance because of how mm-hmm. common it is because it's just because you can just get it well yeah. remember when we went to vegas and you could just fucking buy weed like on fremont street i was like what that's crazy yeah, yeah. the human body has actually developed enzymes to break down uh, alcohol to prevent, you know, 
alcohol poisoning because we've been drinking it for millennia upon millennia. <laughs> so your body has eventually yeah. had to be like, fuck, I'll get it together. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like – and the people who didn't hang kind of, you know, died. And the people who could process it because you had to drink yeah. it for a meal basically. Yeah. Because um, – yeah. Passed on their genes. Um, people had to drink their calories like every day to survive through history. And beer and wine kept for long periods. It was cheap uh, and could be produced at home. Thus, those ale wives and witches that I mentioned in the last episode. But much of that calorie drinking came from harsh conditions uh, and even harsher social structures, which relegated fine food for the wealthy and rotten barley juice for the poor. Mm. The consumption of such going well into prehistory. However, not every society was reliant on beer and wine for sustenance. Not every society had like the Lord uh, who was lording over people and saving the best food for himself. Um, So uh, there is a theory that not every group of humans developed these enzymes. Uh, and that is that is one theory on why the effects of alcohol seem to be heightened for Native American populations, including Native Alaskans. Uh, I'll get to the other theories, too. But uh, and like I'll explain how it's most likely a combination of several theories and more more likely factors outside of genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do know is that about 12 percent of all indigenous American deaths are related to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Compared to 6% as a global average, alcohol is two times as deadly for this population. Mm. One of the issues with the enzyme theory is that the genetic research we have is very small. And there is distrust among na- among Native Americans yeah. of scientists for, you know, mm-hmm. reasonable, <laughs> reasonable a lot of reasons. Things, yeah. things like forced sterilization, for example. And if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, Native Americans are drunks, that's just a negative stereotype. You would be right. But that's also super reductive of exactly how bad this issue is and how much white supremacy and colonization has, has to it. do with yeah. it. Because, y'all, it is bad. It is way worse than you think. So buckle up. Take a break if you have to. This is going to get intense. Okay. I should mention that the natives of Mesoamerica and the American Southwest have been brewing and drinking alcoholic beverages for centuries before colonization, and there was evidence that some native tribes produced very weak alcoholic beverages from berries, but they were typically only consumed during celebration feasts or religious ceremonies, a far cry from the beer-is-a-meal culture of the colonists Mm -hmm. uh, or the hard liquor they were distilling. Also... People don't realize how sovereign these tribes were and how much they valued that sovereignty. Each separate native culture had their own methods and their own unique drinks from their own unique crops. So it wasn't like a collective knowledge being passed down on how to brew stronger and stronger and stronger mm-hmm. like, like we've seen in other, other parts of the world. While we don't uh, quite have enough genetic evidence to prove the enzyme theory uh, and the genetic predis- and the genetic like predisposition without a doubt, there are other factors that can be confirmed. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart is a native sociologist and professor who has extensively studied the effects of generational trauma in the Lakota people. Alcohol abuse has always been a negative coping mechanism for the kinds of trauma inflicted on native populations by colonists. Hopelessness, loss, physical pain, loss of history, loss of culture, the death of so many role models and cultural leaders opened the door for alcoholism. 
uh, Braveheart argues that other symptoms of this kind of trauma, such as depression and suicide, are also present in higher rates in native populations. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that this is kind of the root of the deadliness of alcoholism. Um, and it's not like the genocide and abuse of native populations ended in history either. What? Uh, I thought it was over. Nope. <laughs> no, it's not, unfortunately. It's, uh, yeah, just fucking. Ugh. The PTSD of Native American, that Native Americans suffer from continued abuse at the hands of police, negative stereotypes reinforced by pop culture, the destruction of land and resources to serve capitalist agendas, and the paramilitary forces using violence to support those agendas. All of this abuse leads to alcohol as a coping mechanism. Yeah. Also, let's not forget that liquor was introduced to native populations, but none of the infrastructure to assist with the issues that come with alcohol came with it. Uh, Think about it. The colonists had thousands of years of generational knowledge about recreational drinking. Uh, What to do if somebody drank too much, strategies for alcohol dependence, uh, and even like support from groups and communities and like generational knowledge passed down from like parents to their kids. uh, About drinking safely. About drinking that they did not have access to. Uh, Thousands and thousands of years of it that, that... uh, was actually purposely denied <laughs> the the Native Americans. And y'all, it gets worse because alcohol itself was used as a tool of cultural genocide, violence, and white supremacy in the form of the fire water myths. I'm about to tell you why you probably shouldn't jokingly refer to alcohol as fire water. And I had no idea it was this bad. Uh, These myths created a severe stereotype threat, which is when stereotypes are reinforced so strongly that the victims of these stereotypes believe it about themselves. Mm. Uh, After European contact, white drunkenness was treated as it always has been, silly, goofy misbehavior. However, native drunkenness was viewed as racist proof of their inferiority because they couldn't hold their liquor. Uh, The myths included that Native Americans like had weak constitutions, would do anything for alcohol or worse, got exceptionally violent while they were drunk. And all of this served as an excuse for violence against Native populations, even if they were repeatedly proven false. The cultural damage was done. Colonizers would weaponize alcohol, giving it as a gift, and then use the common belief in these firewater myths to justify murdering them for being too violent while drunk, cheating them in trades involving alcohol, and gaslighting them into thinking it was their own thirst for alcohol that allowed them to be cheated. Uh, It would be used to sow discord in native communities and prevent resistance. It's really fucking awful. Yeah, that kind of reminds me when we were talking about um, how, like, crack cocaine is has a much higher and harsher penalty than, like, powdered cocaine. It's five times more harsh. Yeah, and using utilizing that inside of these cultures and people that you don't want to have around for very long. Yeah. It's really hard to think about all of this, to I mean, be honest. It the, is. The crack epidemic was just this tried and true method. That's what I mean. It's like that they've known for so long. I mean, how many times have white populations come in and done this? And you can hear it like when um, indigenous people and Native Americans like talk about it. And they're like, there is huge warnings around using alcohol in Native Americans. So to have that be like white people be like, no, no, we decided that you can't handle this. Like, 
what the fuck are we doing? And like one of the worst parts is that these myths continue today, especially in populations mm-hmm. of Native American youths. This causes a sort of placebo effect, stereotype effect, synergistic crossover that leads to more severe alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. The reinforced negative thinking is I am what they say I am. I have no control. Mm-hmm. These false beliefs often prevent Native Americans suffering from alcoholism from seeking help, believing they will never recover from it simply because they are Native. Mm-hmm. And that is just really fucking heartbreaking. But it gets even more fucked. You remember when we discussed the cultural genocide of the Celts in the Irish Magic episode? Mm. Well, alcohol was a tool used in that cultural genocide. There were attempts by state and federal governments to prevent the sale of alcohol to Native Americans, but they were devoid of any real consequences. Mm -hmm. In fact, the 1802 Indian Non-Intercourse Act, which prevented the sale of alcohol to Native Americans, ended up putting Native Americans in further danger. It was another excuse for the government to intrude on Native sovereignty. Often, people would sell the Native Americans repackaged alcohol as things like stomach bitters or medicine to and then get them more addicted and just yeah. like continue to capitalize on this dependence and establish native populations and then when the government would find out they would go get them and like take it from them and like get but them not in punish the people who sold it to them and then not punish the people who sold it to them because of this loophole the native americans suffered all of the punishment from the criminalized trade of alcohol while the uh white people and colonizers but I feel did like, not isn't that so often the case of like cannabis and that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. it's like always passed down to those people and never the people that are like buying it from them and, and yeah Uh, In the 1800s, a new native spiritualist movement began rising up in an attempt to restore old spiritual practices that were lost to genocide and colonization. This movement would later be established as the Native American Church. One of the beliefs involved the use of peyote, a hallucinogen to combat social, spiritual, and physical ills. The use of peyote far predates this movement within the tribes just north of Mexico, but there was an influx of refugees from native genocide showing up in the area, driven southwest and penned up in reservations in like Texas, Oklahoma area. The peyote plant is this like button-shaped little plant that occurs naturally in the American Southwest. In fact, there were reports of the Texas Rangers soaking peyote buttons in water and getting intoxicated with the water whenever they lacked alcohol during the Civil War. The plant became critical to the spiritual restoration of Native Americans. And then, of course, in 1880, the U.S. decided to completely outlaw peyote as an illicit substance. This would be a dress rehearsal for the war on drugs a hundred years later, and it became yet another reason to victimize Native Americans. Mm-hmm. So the Native spiritualists turned to alcohol as a legal replacement for peyote in their rituals. Remember when I brought up alcohol hallucinosis? Mm. They would attempt to achieve that effect combining it with dance and music similar to the methods used by the Maenads because... It works. What, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, used so long ago in ancient Greece. And can you guess what happened next, L? It didn't work. Prohibition. 
Oh, oh, so this is... Mm. <laughs> I know. Let's just take away these people's culture completely. Just anything that they had. Like, not only are we just going to put them on reservations, murder a whole bunch of them, but we're just going to, like, take away the sacred plants and then give them the white people things that have destroyed culture. And then we're going to tell them that they can't do that. So, sorry, no more culture for you. They even tried to make the rituals themselves illegal. Mm-hmm. The temperance movement from all – for all of its good intentions produced some really, really fucking bad results other than, you know, the rise in crime and murder, the – other than the police brutality and victimization of the working class. Uh, it included more victimization of native populations and their spiritual beliefs. Uh, the rituals themselves such as the ghost dance were just – they were trying to outlaw – they outlawed them altogether. Mm. They're just like, your religion is outlawed, which is unconstitutional, unconstitutional yeah, for one. Um, some native populations welcomed the temperance movement for obvious reasons. Yeah. Alcohol had been used as a weapon against them. Some tribes continued prohibition after the U.S. government repealed it. Mm-hmm. Members of the Native American church were later exempted from peyote laws, I think, in the 70s. Yeah, because I know that it's legal for Native Americans and indigenous people to use in mm-hmm. ceremony now. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, be used. In fact, there is some anecdotal evidence it assists in the treatment of alcoholism, or at least that is the purpose for some of these spiritual ceremonies. Mm. Tribes today have set up important infrastructure, social work, and treatment programs for their people. Tribe-specific treatment plans have shown to be more effective uh, and preferred over nativized versions of alcoholics, anonymous, or pan-tribal uh, yeah. Methods. Well, I would think if you're treating it because so often addiction – well, addiction is, you know, like this like spiritual malady really. And so if you have like a centralized version of that, that people have grown up in the culture, that then they can go back to that culture and really use that. And they're supported in that because their entire culture is around them. So it's ideas that they can talk about and connect to. It makes it easier to recover because you've got more support that's individualized to those specific people and the things that they specifically need. Mm -hmm. Which is why Alcoholics Anonymous worked in like Europe and America for so long uh, because it connected them to the Judeo-Christian culture. Yeah, to God, Um, yeah. But uh, doesn't really work for people who aren't connected to that culture. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Yep. Even though the damage was severe and the struggle still continues today, there is hope for the future and hope for healing for these communities, Mm. which like I just wanted to end on that note. They're like – there is still a fight going on and there is still hope. Uh, but yeah. yeah. And, you know, it would be really great if people wanted to donate to tribes and see if they could support people in recovery in tribes. Like if there's any way that you could offer money or support, that would be a cool way to maybe uh, try to fight the things that we've done yeah. that have caused all of this. And now it's time for the extra spell. It is. Is it a good one? Is it happy? It's finally time to talk about cheese. <laughs> cheese. I will welcome some cheese puns right now. Yeah, hopefully this will lighten the mood after a very, very heavy history dump. Um, yeah. This this is why – I'm just a quick rant. This is why critical race theory is fucking important. Like there's this big debate uh, right now around the country but in Utah specifically where politicians are trying to outlaw teaching critical race theory to children. But it is important to view the history of America through more than the white and delightsome lens that we are given. And it's like you just – there are – you cannot 
completely understand our culture and who we are and where we've come from. If you get like Rosa Parks, that's the only thing we need to do to Yeah. If you, you if, know? if you get just one story, you're not understanding the full picture. Uh and so yeah, critical race theory, fucking important. Super important. It's important Super to talk about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um anyway. Do you want to ring the bell? The bowl? Yeah. This extra spell is brought to you by L. Yeah. Morals of Lux is an Etsy store where you can order Akashic Record readings and discover that you were just as depressed in your past life as you are now. Uh, <laughs> Nothing has changed. I, I'm kidding. That's that's just me and my past life. I lives. mean, um, some of them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in this extra spell, I'm going to talk about the cheese caves. The cheese caves? The cheese caves. Okay, I'm ready. Buckle the fuck up. This is wild. Um, so in America, cheese is fucking everywhere. Uh, I know we might not like realize it since we're kind of like born and raised here. Like I was born in cheese, born molded in cheese. by it. Uh, I didn't see a, a sandwich without cheese till I was already a man. You know what? I hate like uncooked cheese. And that was a thing that I suffered through a lot. <laughs> Uh, but pretty much every American and or Americanized food features some kind of cheese. And I'm talking the staple foods, burgers, tacos, pizza, burritos, subs, pasta. All of it has fucking cheese on top. Omelets have just piles of cheese on top and inside. In fact, the American breakfast is loaded with cheese. They just melt slices of cheese on top of everything. Think about mac and cheese. The American pasta. It's just cheese and pasta. It's delicious. It's so good. It's, it is delicious. Lest we forget how much of a fucking staple grilled cheese sandwiches are. I do love a good grilled cheese. I mean, it's amazing. I mm-hmm. fucking, I love, I love, I know. love cheese. I know. Cheese is one of my favorite things. But there's a reason Americans are so fucking crazy about cheese. And it goes back to the Great Depression. Are you ready? I am. So the dairy industry was hit pretty hard. Most dairy farms were in danger of collapsing during the Depression, which would be very, very bad. Mm. Uh, because many of these dairy farms were other farms, too. And if farms fail, the country starved. Mm-hmm. So part of bailing out the agricultural industry involved bailing out the dairy industry. And boy, did FDR bail them out hard. The government started buying massive quantities of cheese to maintain its value in the market. The government had emergency food storage because, like, it's what you do. It's what governments always do is they have emergency food storage. Yeah. Like, well before this. And for decades, they would subsidize the dairy industry buying more and more cheese, requiring more and more storage. Eventually... They had a billion dollars worth of cheese. A billion dollars a billion of cheese. Dollars Wait, worth of cheese. in what year's money? Uh, Would that be today's money? In the 40s. Oh, 
That's yeah. a lot of cheese. Yeah. But they did not have room for all of it. So they did what anybody would do. They went to the cave systems of Missouri and filled them with cheese and butter and powdered milk. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The federal government really needed to lose some of their cheese weight. Uh, so the rations during World War II were extremely dairy heavy. Soldiers got slices of vacuum sealed processed cheese that didn't go bad for decades. Mm-hmm. Powdered milk and butter paste. Mm. And if you want to know what butter paste is, go try the buttery spread from KFC straight from the packet. Else fakes her now. This would be the beginning of what would be known as government cheese, also known as American cheese. Yeah, those craft singles, they're from the fucking cheese caves, y'all. <laughs> they, they still have them. They just go, they take one of those little, one of the boxes, you know, the blue boxes that craft used to come in, and then they just go out to the little caves and they take one piece of cheese and they put it in the box and then they get another piece of cheese. You're joking. And then craft sends it you're to You're joking, you. but you'll find out that you're not joking in a minute. Um, and they just put one piece of cheese in there, <laughs> and they put another piece of cheese in there. <laughs> that was like World War II soldier food. It was just like cheese slices. And I would be so mad. And I know you're probably thinking, uh, the U.S. government was finally able to get rid of all their excess cheese thanks to the war effort, right? No. No. Well, you have no idea how much a billion dollars worth of cheese is. Okay. So let's say that like each chunk of cheese in the 1950s cost what, 25 cents? I have no idea. But the so, prices were kept artificially, like, maintained by the government buying cheese. 25 cents per hunk of cheese. So you're looking at 4 billion pieces of cheese. Oh, no, a lot more than that. A lot of cheese. On top of that, <laughs> the dairy industry was still being subsidized by the government. And during the whole war, they kept buying more and more cheese for the caves. <laughs> Is this what they're doing with the houses now? They just have a little cave in Missouri that they're putting all the little houses in. Is that where they are? (laughs) The dairy industry became really dependent on these cheese subsidies. The dairy industry grew, so supply grew, but demand remained the same, especially since the government had been giving out the cheese for free free. during the war. They're not even making any money. And, (laughs) And eating something every day as a war ration doesn't exactly inspire you to go home and buy it. Would you, you like a there. little slice of PTSD? Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. In the minds of Americans, cheese was basically worthless. Yeah. So the government kept buying cheese, especially since the dairy farms, they farmed other stuff too. So if dairy failed, agricultural infrastructure would totally collapse and we'd be super fucked. Y'all, and I wish I was making this up. But once again, the U.S. government was... Fat and indolent on cheese and had to get rid of it. They started giving it to restaurants for free. The restaurant businesses, especially fast food, uh, was it's a nickel and dime business. So every yeah. chance you have to save money, they would take it. And so cheese got piled up high on everything. Other ingredients were reduced to make room for more of the free cheese. And it still wasn't enough to put a dent in this cheese issue. Can we go see the cheese caves? I think they're protected by the military. I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. They're, ofi- they're official government sites. <laughs> Imagine being the soldier that has to guard the cheese caves. 
<laughs> so imagine you're like part of the National Guard, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm just doing this so my wife and I can have health benefits. And you like come home, your wife's like, what were you doing? And you're like, I can't talk about it. And really, you just fucking had like a machine gun standing outside of the cheese cave, like <laughs> smelling like icky expired American cheese. Oh, a lot of it is dehydrated and then rehydrated and processed. Yeah, that's gross. I would know. Ne- I would be like, oh, I did some real classified shit like i would never tell anyone that's what i did (laughs) so in the 1980s ronald reagan was ignoring the aids epidemic doing irreparable damage to the economy and flooding the streets with crack uh but do you know what else he was flooding the streets with cheese fucking cheese in 1983 there was four billion dollars worth of dairy in the cheese caves Four billion. So much cheese. So you know it's wild. Yeah, what's wild? the LDS Church has more than that in one shell account. Uh, yes, that is absolutely true. But also, do they have it in cheese? Um, probably. Because <laughs> like, four, it's probably underneath Salt Lake City. <laughs> four billion dollars worth of cheese is so much fucking cheese. How do you? I cannot even begin to quantify the amount of cheese <laughs> no, that, that is. The cave systems in Missouri are overflowing with cheese. Part of the reason they had to dehydrate it, not just too much. not just to keep it good, but to like vacuum pack it to like save space. So you know what I'm imagining now? Do you remember the like vacuum seal bags that were on like late night television when we were probably like ten or twelve? Mm-hmm. And you like, and they were like, "Oh, and you just stick your little vacuum in there and suck the air out," and it was like revolutionary. That is exactly what it is. Um, but it's all of Donald Trump's aides like, sitting there <laughs> <laughs> vacuuming cheese. And Donald Trump's like, "I'm saving the American." No, that was literally Ronald Reagan, though. That was fucking Ronald Reagan in the 80s. He wanted this cheese gone. He was like, this is a ridiculous issue. And he was right. This is a ridiculous issue. We have to do something about how stupid this is. Um, But, of course, he... He's fucking Ronald Reagan. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, here we are. I, I fucking hate this guy. Uh, so he's just as baffled as, as us by the amount of cheese <laughs> the government had in what storage a units. problem. <laughs> and in caves in Missouri. Now he's in storage unit. I'm just imagining storage wars and they open it, but it's just so much cheese. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> Okay. So he was like, you know what? Everybody says that I hate poor people. And I do. And I do. Um, But I'm going to give these poor people something. All of this cheese. Great. (laughs) So poor Americans would line up for their rations of government cheese. And this solidified the term government Government cheese cheese in our lexicon. If you were on government cheese, you were poor. And a lot of it became a source of shame for people who were like, I've got to get my government cheese because I can't afford, you know, to go to the grocery store and buy cheese. Yeah. Uh, So they were just – Getting their rations of Kraft singles and like powdered dehydrated cheese. Like the stuff that you make Kraft mac and cheese with. That's what it is? That's what it is. It's powdered dehydrated cheese. So. Ew. Yeah. (laughs) But part like think about all the easy things to cook at home. They all have cheese. In some form, the grilled cheese sandwiches, the mac and cheese, the pizza. I'm now questioning everything that I've ever known about cheese. But there's also an element in there of protein. 
Yes. And so it's like an easy-ish way to get some amount of protein. Because even like my gastric bypass, like my classes, they're like, eat cheese with everything you have so you have your protein. They're like, have an apple and a cheese. Like that's what they tell you is just eat so much cheese. I don't like cheese that much. I like goat cheese. Like Yeah. And on top of that, they doubled down on the give cheese to restaurants for free thing by literally paying these restaurants to advertise products that feature cheese and dairy. This is why breakfast cereals exploded in popularity and variety mm-hmm. for this reason. They were literally paid to advertise them with milk. Toucan Sam, Tony the Tiger, Lucky the Leprechaun, all sponsored by government cheese money. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. <laughs> I told you this shit runs deep. That's great. The taste you can't see because it's a government conspiracy. <laughs> um, actually, on the Frosted Flakes, they don't tell you this, but it's just sweetened cheese powder. <laughs> That's what they're frosted <laughs> Obviously, people were submit- suspicious of free government cheese, especially, you know, with how shitty the Reagan administration was to poor yeah. people and minorities. He was so shitty to them, in fact. The only thing he gave them was free processed cheese from the cave system in Missouri from the 30s. Still, uh, where there's a will, uh, there's a way. Poor Americans would find things to make their free government cheese better. Grilled cheese sandwiches became an American classic staple food. Mac and cheese as well. Um, Cheese just got added to like noodles, like everything. Uh, Like all of like the cheapest grain foods just got cheese thrown on top of it. That's why all American food is just cheese and bread. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, Restaurants were not holding back on the cheese. <laughs> Things were escalating in cheese town. <laughs> and manufacturers of snack products were also getting free cheese to then resell as a repackaged product. You remember the shitty like sticks in the plastic package? And, oh like, my god, yeah, yeah. End? Yeah. I would not – I don't like that fucking cheese. Like when I was little, I was slime. like, I don't want American cheese. I want mild cheddar cheese on my fucking grilled cheeses. Like my family, if we ever wanted grilled cheeses, I'm like so particular about them that my family literally would be like, oh, Al makes the grilled cheese. I don't know if you knew that. That's like <laughs> the one thing that I can make really well. But yeah, I always hated that. And it's because it doesn't fucking taste real. It's like cheese rubber. It's like, like, well, it's re, it's dehydrated <laughs> and rehydrated and processed because of how long it's been sitting in the fucking cheese cave. So you're eating some cheese from the 1800s. Well, not that long ago. <laughs> the Maybe 30s. Ago, 30s, 40s, 30s till now. Um, so almost 100 years old, 90 years old at this point. Yeah. Gross. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is seriously a 90 year cheese conspiracy going on in the United States. Wake up, sheeple. Wake up. (laughs) And now now that you know that, uh, it kept escalating through the 90s. Remember the Got Milk campaigns? I do remember the Got Milk campaigns. I remember Hillary Duff's Got Milk. They were everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. They they were everywhere. Uh, And do you know what's crazy about them? They were originally directed by Michael Bay. As in the guy who directed Transformers. <laughs> before before Transformers. Before, this, is, okay. this is where Michael Bay got his start, apparently. Uh, 
And like, yeah, a government subsidized marking campaign designed to get people to buy milk so the government wouldn't have to anymore. Dairy was constantly being used in things like the food pyramid, which most nutritionalists know is bogus. Yeah. Dairy was marketed as a health food when really it's, it's not. not that great for you. No. It's not. Especially Humans are naturally lactose intolerant and we just drink so much milk that you get used to it. In, in America, we drink this much milk yeah, because of these places, fucking campaigns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the government has like been like has an IV hooked up to the dairy industry and they're like, we can't take them off of this life support. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And like you were not supposed to drink this much milk, especially not in the quantities uh, what it's being advertised for. If you like milk, like I'm a big cheese fan. I like dairy, but it, it got crazy. It's getting crazy. My mom bought into these campaigns a million percent in the 90s when I was growing up. We drank so much fucking milk. To this day, my dad goes through a gallon a week all on his own. I had literally one of my exes, um, he grew up not on a dairy farm, but his family had some cows. And so he drank a lot of milk. And I only drink organic milk because my mother noticed when I was like four, I had boobs. And my mom was like, nope, changing to the organic. Because the hormones? Yeah, because the hormones. She was like, your feet are huge and your boobs are big and we're changing to organic milk. So that's why I only drink organic milk now because I don't do the hormones in them. Um, and that was literally when I was eight. But I – he drank – probably why I have these. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he would like – because it's like half gallons of organic milk that I like have occasionally in like cereal. Like I don't really drink that much milk. But he would drink all of it in a day. And it's like $5.50 for an organic half gallon. And I was like, nope, you get to have the hormones. You go drink your hormone milk away from my regular milk. God. My dad drinks milk with every single meal. That's gross. It's not good. One of his favorite things to pair with milk is pizza. That is disgusting. And I am disgusted to does say. He, does he dip it in ranch too and just really no, no, quadruple down? I, no. Um, but I am disgusted to say that I acquired a taste for milk and pizza I'm so well. glad you've never eaten that in front yeah, of me because, I, ew. I, as I grew up, I realized how fucked up it was. It even, is. Even though I was enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> we make sacrifices when we become adults. You just, at a certain point, you just have to get, and you know what the bad thing is going to be? Give it 10 years and you'll circle back around and you'll be like, my dad was right. I'm too old to care. (laughs) On your next 29th birthday. (laughs) It's time. And this is where you might think people started buying all the milk so the government didn't have to. It worked, right? No. No, because of lobbyists for the dairy industry. Yeah, vegans and yeah. No, no, like vegans, vegans have had pretty much zero effect on this issue. Oh. Uh, no matter how you, – you know what? America hates vegans. Um, like Vegans. It, vegan, like every vegan campaign backfires and makes people eat meat and dairy more. Uh, so That's true. So like you know, you know what really helped me cut down my like consumption of like meat and dairy? Learning about the ecological impact and how unsustainable it is and things yeah, about this like weird fucking cheese conspiracy has made me be like, OK, I think I need to calm down uh, and, and oh, understand this better. Uh, yeah. You know what? What hasn't helped? The PETA campaigns showing like a beaten to death pig like – it's true. Well, I just didn't know if it was like rising in popularity that like there are more vegans and vegetarians now. That's like a very normal dietary choice, you know, or dietary. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the in the 90s, there was less of that and more of 
buy as much fucking milk as you can because TV man said so. Because Shaquille O'Neal had a milk mustache and now we need to buy 80 gallons, you know? Uh, Jesus, so, yeah. Uh, but so like it did work. It made people buy a lot more milk. But the dairy industry was now making money off of these increased milk sales and the government subsidized mm, cheese purchases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as of today, there is four pounds of cheese for every American. That's a lot of cheese. That's roughly, here's the number, 1,312,800,000 pounds of cheese in the cheese caves. <laughs> Are we just going to have it forever? Government money is still used to advertise cheese-heavy products. They still give fucking money to Pizza Hut to advertise stuffed crust pizza. I mean, stuffed crust pizza is superior <laughs> pizza. No, it's I like get you sick. get the whole I get pizza. sick every time I eat it. There was a deal at Papa John's where it's like, stuffed crust pizza, it's cheaper than the regular pizza. And I was like, sure, I'll fuck with it. No, it makes me sick because it's too much fucking lactose. Because you're not supposed to eat that much cheese. I have not had a stuffed crust pizza probably since I was maybe like 18. Like it has been a minute. But I do remember that they were good. I remember it's the like advertising. It's like a secondary piece of pizza. I remember the advertising make me want stuffed crust pizza so fucking bad. I would always ask my dad. I'd be like, Dad. Well, you know the sad thing. They got this stuffed crust pizza and Crash Bandicoot says I should eat it. Um. The thing that was really sad about stuffed crust pizza is, you know, like in the commercials, when they pull it up, there's like that cheese and you're like, oh, that yeah, looks the, so the good. Cheese it's rope. a fucking like mozzarella stick, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's string <laughs> cheese that they put inside and then they like rolled the like crust over it. Like that's what it is. It's they always had, disappointing. They had to do something with this free cheese they were getting. And they had to take the government money for their advertisements so that they didn't have to spend money on advertisements. There's some kid who's a pizza delivery driver that's rehydrating the cheese and just rolling it together <laughs> in the mm. bag. And just need me. Wage for this. <laughs> <laughs> when the pandemic hits, I'm going to quit and never work for you again. <laughs> and some of us thrived becoming professional psychics, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We have stuffed crust pizza, cheese bread, mozzarella sticks, fucking cheese brought to you by your tax dollars and also your regular dollars. (laughs) Also, to wrap up the Got Milk subplot, they rebranded it uh, to Milk Life because they noticed millennials were not drinking as much milk, probably because they got burned out on fucking milk in the 90s. I know I did. Well, I think a lot of people are lactose intolerant. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, this makes my stomach hurt. I'm not going to know. No, you projectile shit like the rest of America. Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) You have to. The government needs you to eat this cheese. (laughs) Do a service for America. Please. I just, no. (laughs) So the Milk Life campaign attempted to appeal to millennials. It just it did not work. Um, uh, like they were trying to be like, well, Got Milk got Gen X and Boomers real excited about mm-hmm. milk. So hashtag Milk Life uh, will be for millennials. They, milk is not tasty. Like I don't – milk itself is not tasty. Like really rich things like cheese and whipped cream and cream, tasty. Milk, like skim milk, no. It's it's like but, water. When these camp- – I think it's called Milk Pep is the company that's behind this campaign that receives these funds. When they saw milk sales spike due to COVID-19 panic buying, they brought Got Milk back. And I, I did. I got a Got Milk t- 
TikTok today <laughs> as as an ad. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's they like, knew. They fucking knew because I wrote it. The in, FBI in, agent. I wrote it in Google Docs, and Google probably shared the, all the information. Probably. <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh no, I Googled. Uh, got milk so they could learn about this campaign. Mm. And that's why they're like, we send this motherfucker. This motherfucker wants some milk. goddamn milk. Yeah. And RJ's like, oh, I don't drink milk on podcast days. You know, it makes, you, makes mouth sounds like mm-hmm. not good. And also, I prefer the taste of on, almond milk. And then I found out that it was like really, really. Almond milk is bad for the environment. It's really bad for the environment and really bad for bees. So then like oat milk. Also fucking delicious, and you can just make it at home super Most easy. Most people say the environment. milk is tastier than almond milk yeah. anyway. Easy peasy. And I know this whole cheese conspiracy doesn't have that much to do with magic. But that's the deets on the secret American <laughs> cheese conspiracy. You know what? I feel like this was a good branch into um, conspiracy that was going to happen at some point that we haven't transitioned to yet. Is, so. is it even a conspiracy if it's true? Like, they're pretty open about this whole issue. Like, I could just research it and it's all there. What is the definition of a conspiracy? Like, I, I guess. I guess if you conspire to do something. So I guess it is still a conspiracy. it's a plan. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy. It's an actual conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, Elle, how do you feel about that, knowing this cursed information about cheese? Yeah. Uh, Like, I have to say, I think RJ told me this, like, maybe two or three years ago when we went to get pizza after a poetry slam once. You were telling me about it. (laughs) So I feel like I knew. um, But I didn't go into this much depth. I didn't go into the, like, Tony the Tiger is sponsored by this cheese conspiracy. (laughs) The only thing I'm really, like, thinking of that I can't get rid of is cowspiracy and and. Seaspiracy or whatever that one was. The documentaries on Netflix. Oh, I thought... Uh, they my, talk about environmental stuff. My image of going down a, a rabbit hole, but it's a cow hole. I hated that. I still hate that. <laughs> um, you're welcome. I didn't make a joke about the cow hole when you were like, oh, that's what I have. Yeah. Um, word. I don't know. I'm not sure how I should feel about it. I never really liked cheese. The older I've gotten, the more I like cheese. We like cheese in our house. But I don't I don't like on the whole, um, most people who do some kind of performance or people who are like really mindful really don't eat or drink dairy products because they're really not good for your body. But you love ice cream. I love ice cream. I love my lattes with my milk. I didn't say I was one of these people. I just said that I know a lot of people who don't because your body is not supposed to process it. And also with your bypass, you have to get your protein. Yeah, I really have to be like I have to be on top of it. And that's like that's why I have a latte every morning, because then it's making sure I'm getting at least a little bit of protein. So it's weird because like if you don't have really strange dietary restrictions, you probably shouldn't be having dairy. Just on the whole, your body will feel a lot happier. But also if you're me and they're like RJ when we first moved in together was like on this whole thing about like being vegan and vegetarian, I finally had to be like, I just straight up can't do it. Like just my dietary restrictions just mean I can't do that. And so it's like a weird thing where I'm like, be conscious of your body. But also that doesn't apply to me because my body is stupid. Yeah. You know, uh, trying to enforce uh, the entire world being vegan is called uh, eco-fascism. And don't I do also that. don't know that you could like that's it's not. That's not realistic. I remember I dated a vegan guy and he was like, well, you wouldn't have needed a gastric bypass if you'd gone vegan. And I was like, did you know you can just shut the fuck up sometimes? Like you're allowed (laughs) to just not talk. (laughs) 
Anyway, all the things. Um, anyway, I, I love you vegans. Just don't be eco-fascists. Yeah, like just allow people and like it's good work to be vegetarian, but there are certain times and like mental health is really important too. So if you're trying to be vegan and it's like just a huge stressor on your life, you're allowed to not be it for a certain period of time and go back to it when you're able to sustain it again. Like these things are not – yeah. And also a lot of this hatred of vegans comes from this fucking like weird cheese conspiracy that has been Probably. ingrained into our culture and like a lot of the people in rural America dependent on this government cheese money. Um, that are like, don't be assholes to me because then vegans are assholes and then they're assholes to vegans. And like, what if we just like didn't fucking worry about what other people are eating? Anyway, it's fine. Anyway. <laughs> I have opinions about that too. <laughs> This extra spell was brought to you by L. Have you ever wanted to know about your past life as a Great Depression dairy farmer getting government cheese money? L offers Akashic Record readings. She also does soul <laughs> contract readings to help you understand your relationship uh, and also give you a solid reminder to not text your ex. Visit Laurels of Lux on Etsy and order your reading today. And then, Elle, you have like a promo code? Yes. So if you get a reading, if you place an order from me, you can use Mansi20 for 20% off your order. Also, if I do an Akashic Record reading for you and I discover that you were a dairy farmer receiving like dividend cheese dividends from the government, your reading's free. Like I'm just going to refund that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Take your chances because I will straight up, if that happens, I'll give you a free reading. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. And now that we've been on the wild ride known as government cheese, <laughs> let's talk about tyromancy, divination with cheese. It was mostly popular in like the medieval ages in Europe. Uh, farmers were always concerned with divination and omens because so much of their livelihood was outside of their control. Yeah. Uh, same for young women in medieval times. So these were the primary practor, practitioners of tyromancy. Uh, so the first way uh, that they would do it um, was by scrying the formation of cheese. Mm -hmm. So farmers would stare at the fermenting cow juice and look for omens in the curds that formed. Like, different sizes and shapes would determine things like the weather, if there was disease, uh, if cattle were going to die, uh, death of a loved one, marriage, whatever. Mm -hmm. It was this ancient, like, folk farmery, mm -hmm. redneck form of scrying. Mm -hmm. Like, ooh wee, mama got a good omen in the cheese, look at this curd, it looks like Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 that's what it the was. The OG Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, this one looks, the curds formed in a skull, so I think there's going to be the disease cattle. I don't think Bessie's going to make it through the winter. <sighs> Humans look for signs in anything. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, another method was more for young women. And uh, you know the kinds of young women in divination that they do, you know. Yeah. You know what they are always looking for, right? Money. No. <laughs> yes and no. 
They were looking for future husbands. Rich Yay. men to marry. Yeah, they were looking for men to marry because that was the only way that they could, like, change their lot in life mm-hmm. was by marrying out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would write the names of potential suitors on pieces of cheese, and whichever <laughs> one, I'm serious, they'd carve it into the cheese. How is that weird? It's like you carving into the candle, but with a block of cheese. Yeah. How is that weird? <laughs> how is that weird? You know? Uh, so whichever piece of cheese grew mold first, that would be the one she should marry because the mold knows. Ah, uh, you know, I'm gonna say if something starts attracting decay, I'm not gonna do that. Mold isn't decay, it's life. Sure. <laughs> In fact, a lot of cheeses like blue cheese. I know. I don't eat it. <laughs> I, I love blue cheese. I'm a monster. You just like to eat mold. That's fucking gross. Like, I'm sorry it's, you're like this. Mold is just another kind of, like, flora. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, plant life. Like, You know what I'm not going to fucking do? I'm not going to fucking lay out some cheese. You know what would happen if we left out cheese, though? Spectre and Rocco would conspire (laughs) together. That's the only time our animals work together is when it's treat time, and then they can tolerate each other. So we would, like, leave the cheese out. Spectre would eat it all or knock it off the counter, and then Rocco would eat it all. And I'd be like, oh, whose cheese slice is left? Can you imagine, like, being the one she picked, though? It's like she runs up, like moldy cheese in hand and like oh sir reginald it was you i knew it the cheese told me you know i often wonder this like about my partners if like people wonder what crazy like witchcraft i've done to decide that they are worthy of being my partner and i'm sure if we presented this you know but honestly i don't know why you would leave it up to the cheese if you had a choice like if you had multiple suitors go with the richest one and you were like the choices that you had in your life were just not there because of medieval yeah. patriarchy. I don't know. Maybe if they were all like equally shitty, I don't know. Well, I think that was the thing that was really hard is like people were not trying to get married because they were going to be in love. They just wanted like the best life that they could have. And I think that a lot of times that meant like choosing an abuser with a lot of money over choosing someone who didn't have any money but was genuinely a good person of like which hardship is harder, like which one is mm. going to make my life harder to live. Well, the cheese knows. I'm not going to go with the one that molds first. I'm just not going to do it. No. Another version is to combine tyromancy with meomancy, divination with Meo. mice. Yeah. Meo? You know the, the squirt? M- M-Y-O. Like you just you put it in the water and it makes the water, the meo that's, drops? That's meo. This is meomancy. I know. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> it's, it's mouse magic, <laughs> obviously. I mean, that's kind of fun. So you pose a multiple choice question, carve the choices on the cheese, and then put them in like a pen or a box, and then put a mouse in there. And see which one they And mouse whichever one the mouse chooses to eat is the correct choice because the mice know. We got to do this, don't we? Uh, maybe. I don't have a mouse. I don't have a mouse. I wonder if we know anyone who has pet mice. Yeah. Which, like, it seems reasonable. Also, uh, <laughs> it's not reasonable at all, but it seems reasonable. <laughs> it does. Uh, also, there was a prevailing theory. And w- when we do an episode on Meomancy, we're going to talk about, like, the white mice and, like, how magical people believed mice actually were. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people believing that they were familiars or white witch familiars. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, that's another way to do tyromancy. 
Uh, of course, this is a divination that's long dead, right? It's not like it shows up in pop culture like pyromancy does, except it does. Mm. The Witcher. Oh. <laughs> features Tyromancy. The lore of Tyromancy in the game goes as thus. The best divination, however, is done using the ancient method of fondue. Oh. One must simply melt two different kinds of cheese, preferably uh, emmental and gru, gru... How do you say it? Gruyere. Gruyere, yeah. <laughs> Gruyere. The white wine or a pinch in dry apple cider. And then one must use a long stick to immerse a morsel of bread in the resultant thick soupy mixture. All while keeping in mind the question, what shall my child be like when he or she, as in many cases might be, grows? Then bring the cheese-covered morsel uh, of bread up to a candle so that it casts a shadow on the wall. The shape will provide a sure and easily understood answer to your query. Okay. (laughs) The fondue. The fondue. (laughs) <laughs> Wild. Uh, but that's just a game, right? People wouldn't be doing Tyromancy today. <gasps> except it's making a comeback. Thanks to a TikTok user by the name of Nathan Kessel and his Cheese of Truth videos. <laughs> I fucking love this guy. So he combines Tyromancy with Bibliomancy. He opens a book to a random page and then slaps a piece of Swiss down on the page. And whatever words line up with the holes, uh, that provides you with divine insight. And while I'm pretty sure he's using like video trickery or pre-cutting the holes in the cheese himself so he can make sure it's in specific spots, doing a sort of cheese erasure poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... <laughs> it's it still looks really fun. An erasure poem of my psychic reading with the cheese. Yeah. And he gets <laughs> exceptionally specific answers or pieces of wisdom. So yeah. we're going to try that, but with a professional psychic to see if the cheese really is the cheese of truth. Are you ready to get the Swiss? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, so this is a reading for Eli, who is one of the hosts of the uh, Floor podcast, spelled F-L-O-R. And this is a general reading. I recently was a guest on uh, his show to talk about hollow earth theory. Uh, Check that out. They talk about the deep lore of fantasy and pop culture. Uh, So this is just going to be a general reading for... Eli, and you can find his podcast wherever you find podcasts. And for the book, we're using The Complete Tales and Poems of Edgar Allan Poe, which is a decorative book I have. I chose it because it's a large book um, with large pages, so you can slap a cheese on there and (laughs) uh, there's room. And we'll see where the holes line up. Let me get the video. I have to film a, a TikTok response to Cheese of Truth Guy. So he knows... But he has inspired us. All right, here we go. Okay. So this is just a general reading. So we're just going to pick a random page. That looks good. We'll get some 
get a cheese. Um, I have to say the cheese of truth. Cheese of truth. The cheese of truth. Oh. What words are in the holes? Asians. Okay, try again. <laughs> this time, let's aim. aim. <laughs> okay. The cheese of truth. Okay. Uh, Inst. Sure. As. Reference. Reference. I mean, let, let's see what the whole whole words are. So. Instinct. instinct I think. Mixture. mixture uh, as. Yeah. Instinct as, as interference. So what was that? Instinct mixture. As interference. Okay. That's okay. kind of interesting. Okay. Do you want to do another one? Yeah. Turn to so, another random page. I think I just want to. So that to me could be like an indication of you're having like too many things that you think to be true that are coming up that are like really competing with each other. So you're a little bit like mixed up in how you're perceiving things right now. Okay. Alrighty. Well, let's do another slice. Fresh slice. Aren't they? Oh, okay. They're not all the same. I was like, aren't these all the same? Okay. The cheese of truth. <clears throat> Understood of that interrupted. Uh, whole or obeyed as well. Oh. Understood of that interrupted. Whole. Whole. Understood of that interrupted whole. Okay. Understood of that interrupted I thought you just closed the cheese in the book. <laughs> I was like, my book. <laughs> um, so that could be like um I don't know. That's interesting. Should do this is the same page. Okay. Here's another, Here's another. cheese of truth. Okay. <laughs> Feels so stupid saying it. The cheese of truth. Slept. Slept. Yeah. The third was the third Freeman was instituted. What is this? Slept. The third Freeman was instituted. B. I think I don't know. I guess that's maybe not one. Slept. The third Freeman was instituted. Mm. It's weirdly like meaningful. Is it weirdly meaningful? That is weirdly meaningful. I think there maybe there is something to this. Cheese there of might truth. be something to the cheese of truth. There, there may be some real tearomancy to this cheese of truth. Okay, should we do one more? One more. Going to go to the front of the book. The, the poetry section. Oh, is there like a whole? Yeah. Oh yeah. But it doesn't fill the whole page, so. You'll have to that aim. Matters. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the cheese of truth. Owls turn it. How dim? How dim? Upon halls. Owls turned. Turned it. How dim upon the halls. The and left her gorgeous halls. Hmm. 
So what general wisdom do you have for you know what we should have done Eli via the cheese? I, we should have been writing down. We should have all of the. Uh, fortunately, we recorded it. We did. <laughs> that's true. Okay, we might have to. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's going on that's kind of talking about like understanding things and interrupting things and not necessarily being really clear about um, how things are evolving or really what's happening. And I feel like that's a big thing for you right now, where you're just feeling a bit disconnected from understanding what is true. And I think that that kind of idea of understanding an interrupted thought is going to be more like the way that you're perceiving the world is shifting right now. So even though you feel really discombobulated and disoriented and you're not really sure, um, like things are not the way that they have always been, it doesn't mean that things are wrong. It means that you're changing your understanding. Okay. That was the cheese of truth. Well, Eli, I hope uh, I hope the cheese of truth had some important wisdom for you that you could use uh, in your life for your general reading. Please go check out Eli's podcast, Floor. Check out the Hollow Earth episode that I'm on where I talk about, like, the sort of, like, pseudo-thinkers that thought the Earth was hollow. Like, literally, the forefront of thinkers like Haley of Halley's Comet fame, mm. like, believed the Earth was hollow and that it, it was, like, spheres, like, shifting around other spheres and layers and how that developed tectonic plate theory mm-hmm. uh, and also proved that the Earth was, in fact, not hollow. Yeah. Uh, even though he thought it was. Um, and also, like, the the mythology of, like, Shambhala uh, and things like that. Uh, I'm also on one of their episodes where they introduce Dune, which, like, if you haven't read Dune, it's one of the most influential sci-fi series of all time. And so I'm just there to, like, geek out about it uh, mm. from a writer's perspective. So definitely check out their podcast. Um, it's called F-L-O-R Floor. Find it wherever you get podcasts. And, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, hit us up on Patreon. And L will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Even if we carve... Names on cheese. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Mancy. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. If you like my writing, you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. If you wanted to get a reading from me, you can find me on Etsy at Laurels of Lux. You can also use the promo code Mancy20 to get 20% off of your order. If you are or have been a dairy farmer that received dividends, cheese dividends, and I find that out during your reading and it's a past life reading or an Akashic Record reading, free. You just get the reading for free because I'm just going to be like, you know what I fucking learned? You know what I found? And I'll be really excited. So um, take your chances and see if that's you. Uh, the music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Arthi Vinke, Miyu, and Scott Buckley.